with you again. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, and we thank you uh, for your mother, uh, whom you have given us as uh, both to uh, revere, uh, though not to worship, and to emulate, uh, but not uh, to deify. We pray, God, that you would give us a clear reverence uh, for Mary as we uh, think on her in anticipation of your coming. We pray, God, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to uh, pray. Uh, well, we're going to uh, study uh, Mary over the next three weeks. Um, the Magnificat is really what I was planning on. I was planning on doing two weeks on the Magnificat. And then uh, on the 17th, going out and cheering for all of the uh, marathon runners, like we've done a couple of the last couple of years. Christmas miracle of Christmas miracles, the marathon is on Saturday this year. So, I know, I know you're crying inside. Um, so, uh, hopefully people will come to church this year. That'll be good. So, um, so, we'll have three weeks. And so, instead of doing three weeks on Magnificat, what we'll do is we'll do one week this week on the Annunciation and thinking really specifically about Mary. Uh, and then we'll do two weeks on uh, Magnificat. So, uh, and, and you know, this is, um, this is a big step for me. I mean, some of you may, may kind of raise your eyebrows that I, I'm going to uh, tackle, well, not tackle, but, you know, um, um, study Mary because I talk so much about being a Protestant, you know. And so, um, and yet, you know, I, uh, I think that... Um, we, you know, some, many of you come from Roman Catholic backgrounds, so this is not a, a big deal for you. So many of you come from Baptist backgrounds, and so it may be a, a sort of uncomfortable thing. And for me, I was sort of came into the faith in a more evangelical, word-centered um, uh, faith, even though I was raised in the Episcopal Church, and and it was although that, even that was a more uh, Protestant-leaning Episcopal, Episcopal Church, but we. Um, we just didn't talk about Mary. I mean, and, and in fact, we kind of ran the other way, uh, honestly, if, if the truth be known. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But, um, but anyway, I, I want to just have a very uh, biblically-centered, um, appropriately reverent uh, look at Mary. And, uh, and I would, I, uh, particularly those who um, have come from traditions that are very um, comfortable uh, looking at Mary... I would love your um, engagement, uh, your engagement. So, let me read uh, the Annunciation passage from Luke chapter 1, and um, we'll look there. We may get into uh, Elizabeth a little bit, but I don't think we're going to have time. I think we're going to have plenty to talk about uh, with this Annunciation. In the sixth month, and that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Uh, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, the virgin birth is one of the doctrines that we absolutely cannot give away. That is, it is so uh, important to our Christian faith and our Christian testimony. Uh, obviously, the virgin birth is very hard for skeptics to swallow. Uh, some have made the claim that Mary was raped or that uh, perhaps even Mary was adulterous and unwilling to confess. Uh, Others have said that she and Joseph uh, had the baby out of wedlock. And others claim that the origin really doesn't matter, the origin of Jesus. You know, what matters is the character of Jesus. And and those are, I would think, from a non-religious standpoint, a non-faith standpoint, those are very understandable uh, propositions. Uh, because the idea of a virgin conceiving uh, is completely outside the realm of possibility. Uh, it, is, um, it, it is just simply not going to happen, which makes it so miraculous, uh, which makes it uh, special, which makes it um, mythological in a sense. And so, um, but we can't acquiesce uh, to those who say it really doesn't matter, uh, because it really does matter. And I'll give you two reasons why. Uh, The first is uh, that it is the fulfillment of prophecy. I mean, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah prophesies that the virgin shall conceive and have a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so, Isaiah is telling us that a virgin will conceive, and it will be God with us. Now, the context of Isaiah's prophecy comes when King Ahaz was offered by Isaiah, uh, ask me anything. I mean, basically, the Lord is saying through Isaiah to King Ahaz, ask me anything. Ahaz is in a pickle. Uh, Assyria is, is coming. They are the world superpower, and they are coming. And God through uh, Israel says, I'll, basically, I will, I mean, through Isaiah says, I will deliver you, just ask. And Ahaz gives this sort of false humility answer saying, well, who am I to ask of the Lord? And, and then we get this prophecy. Essentially, Isaiah says, well, if you're not going to ask for deliverance now, there's a great deliverance that's coming. So it's in, the, it's in the context of deliverance. Isaiah prophesies of a much greater deliverance to come. The, the, the virgin is going to conceive, and she is going to bear a son whose name will be Emmanuel. He will be God uh, with us. So the fact that the prophet said it was going to happen makes the fact that it did happen important. right? Important. It gives credence uh, to it. But the other really important reason is the dual nature of Jesus. Jesus, in order to be our Savior, had to be both fully God 
and fully man. Now that in itself is a, a, a proposition that someone who's coming to this without faith could not accept. Particularly because we're not talking about 50-50. He's half God and half man. He is 100% and 100%. He's all the way God and all the way human. God could not suspend His deity in order to become Jesus, become a man. Nor could He avoid His humanity as if He just appeared to be human, but sort of floated around. You know, so... Um, both, as you can imagine, both of those, uh, as particularly in the early church, as they were trying to figure out the nature of Jesus, who was Jesus, who was the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of this, the great debates and great things coming, people uh, said uh, that he had suspended his deity. Theologians, early theologians, he, had, he was God, he quit being God for a, a season, became a man, and then he went back to being God. Others said, no, he never, you know, that, that they could see problems with that. I mean, how could God stop being God? Therefore, he just appeared to be a human. Well, then that presents a problem. How does, he, how does God die uh, on the cross? So, um, and then Gregory of Nazianzus, who was a great uh, theologian and a great church father, said this uh, in the context of a much greater, more profound treatise. He said, what is not assumed is not redeemed. What is not assumed is not redeemed. What he means is if there was any part of his humanity which, which uh, was not, um, that God did not become, God did not become, any, if he withheld his deity from any part of his humanity, then he could not redeem it. it could, all, he had to be all the way human. But he had to do that as all the way divine. Else, uh, there would be parts of our humanity that could not be redeemed, could not be bought and paid for. So, uh, that is uh, a, a phrase that I have thought on much. Uh, Greg, Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, there will be a, a quiz afterwards on how to spell that. Um, what is not assumed is not redeemed. So, as it is, Jesus was and is fully God and fully human. So, as he sits on the right hand of God right now, he is not, he has not ceased to be human. Uh, he is a hundred, a hundred. Born of a virgin, so he takes his mother's nature. But also fathered by God, so he takes his father's divine nature. And, and we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus, don't we? We see extraordinary acts of divine insight and power. Things that He could only do if He were God. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He prophesies. Um, I mean, obviously prophets can uh, have the Holy Spirit speaking through them, but what this, actually the claim is in the context of everything else, that the, the Spirit, He and the Spirit are one. We see the Spirit descend upon Him, but this, they have a unified uh, mission. And so, this divine, extraordinary act of divine power and insight, but we also see he walks, he talks, he eats, he has fellowship, he bleeds, he dies. I mean, he is human, right? And there are times uh, where Jesus doesn't seem to know everything uh, about a situation, where he with, kind of withholds 
his humanity. So he interchanges uh, sort of the, the amount that he relies on his divinity. But so we, we can't give away the virgin birth because not only the prophecy, but especially because of the dual nature of Jesus. He is fully God and fully man. But if we can't give away the virgin birth, then we can't give away the virgin. That is really, it's really important. So, Protestants, of which I certainly am one, and if you are, if you're a confirmed Episcopalian, you are one too, whether you think it or not, um, that we often will give away the virgin. And here's the issue for people like me. You may not be a person like me. You may, again, be very comfortable. Protestants have heard, probably more through, um, more than they have experienced, but Protestants have heard that Catholics worship Mary. And that Catholics uh, care more about Mary than they do about Jesus. Um, that's Again, that's what they've heard. Now, they may or may not have experienced that, but they've heard it from people who... No, right? Not really. They, they heard it from people who heard it, who heard it, who heard it. It's just kind of this... Uh, with, you know, we do this so often without really exploring for ourselves. We go and take a look. Now, I will say there are some... I have, I have actually heard about and encountered some... Um, Roman Catholic practices, and it's not, I don't even think the teaching of the Catholic Church, but particular individuals or uh, branches of Roman Catholicism that go further than I, much closer to what looks like worship to me than I feel comfortable with. But it's not that all Catholics do that. And it's certainly not that all Catholics care more about Mary than about Jesus. But we know as Protestants that there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. So when we hear Our Lady of this and Our Lady of that, and we hear uh, about people praying to Mary and asking Mary to pray for us. Uh, we see icons and venerations of, uh, rather than an old rugged cross. That makes us nervous. And so we run away. And what happens is we run completely in the other direction and we, we basically give Mary away. And uh, we want nothing to do. And that, I would say, is wrong. That's wrong. Uh, this has been a, a, a sort of a journey for me uh, in sort of realizing that. Um, Mary is not divine. Uh, and I'm quite certain, biblically speaking, that Mary was not sinless and that Mary was not perpetually a virgin, uh, as some have claimed. But she, without question, looking at the biblical narrative, she is uniquely favored among all humanity. She is what theologians have called the Theotokos, the God-bearer. The Theotokos. She is the one who gave birth to God, which is not to say that God uh, did not exist before her in some sense, but that God chose her to create Himself into her womb and to give himself to all of humanity through her not you <laughs> not me mary and so she is uh, wonderfully um, esteemed she is worthy of our honor she's worthy of our study and she's worthy of our emulation she is not worthy of our worship and i don't think that she would ever uh, ask us to do so. 
Now, as we look in this passage, we are not told her age, but as a betrothed virgin in that day and age, Mary was very likely a teenager. Right? And the angel Gabriel, who is the archangel, who stands in the presence of God. Now, how do we know, how do we know this? Because he had appeared to Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father. John the Baptist uh, was not miraculously conceived in uh, the sense that he had a mother and a father, although he was miraculously conceived in the sense that his mom was old. Um, and, and so uh, she was, um, it, she never had a child. She wasn't going to have a child then. And some of you think, God bless her, that sounds terrible. Um, you know, and I, I, even now, like, I think, Ugh. Um, but the, um, and yet she, she Elizabeth knew, we're going to look more at Elizabeth uh, next week, but Elizabeth knew what an incredible blessing this was. But Zechariah, you remember the story in Luke chapter 1, early on, it's the, whole, the beginning of Luke, and Zechariah goes into the temple, uh, he's a priest, and he's uh, drawn the straw that goes into the Holy of Holies, and Gabriel's sitting there. Gabriel says, guess what? Elizabeth's going to get pregnant. And he says, how, do, how can I know that this is true? And he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. So you don't get to talk anymore until you see this happen. Um, <laughs> shut up, uh, Zechariah. So, um, so it, is, uh, th- it is this same Gabriel, the angel who stands uh, in the presence of God, who comes and appears... Um, to Mary. And it's hard to imagine that Gabriel makes a subtle entrance. Right? Now, I, I always picture this at night. This is just how I picture it. I don't know how you picture it. It's been variously uh, depicted by uh, medieval and uh, early modern artists. Uh, but I picture it uh, at night on a, uh, in a sod house on a dirt floor. And this uh, young Woman is in her, uh, what is her bedroom, but why, she, she probably didn't have multiple bedrooms in those days, so why would she by herself? I, I don't know. It doesn't say, it's just how I picture it. Now, it doesn't tell us what time of day it is. Um, but we have this warrior of light. Like, you know, not, this, not this little baby with uh, you know, cute puffy cheeks and little, little cherub wings. This is Gabriel. He's the archangel. Uh, actually, those little babies, we don't... We don't know where they came from. They're not. We don't really see them in Scripture except through interpretation. Um, this is. Uh, we're not given details really about even what he looked like so much. But it's just uh, to me. I just see this this glorious, righteous warrior standing in the presence of this teenage girl, and he says, "Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you." Some manuscripts, uh, and you may have, be familiar. They also. Uh, add here, blessed are you among women. And that is, uh, some manuscripts include that, and so some translations include that, some manuscripts don't, so some translations don't. But she says, uh, she is favored, and the Lord is with her. She is favored by God, which means she is blessed, she's graced, um, and the Lord is her companion. The Lord is with her, right? And interesting, isn't it so interesting? I just love the subtleties of Scripture when it says things like this, that Mary was troubled at his saying. Like, don't you think that Mary might have been troubled at the fact that there's an angel standing in front of her, right? right? And, and, what, and yet what is so amazing is that, and, and at least speaks to me, and, and, and may, I'm willing to say this may be my own bias, but to say 
that Mary knew enough about herself to be troubled at what the Lord said. What, it, what is it about my station in life or about me in particular that would have any, that would say to anyone that I am particularly favored or that God is with me? I'm a poor peasant girl. There is, um, th- their culture would have said uh, that wealth meant God's favor. And, and so she didn't have wealth. And how do we know that? Because in, in the Magnificat, she lifts up and exalts the fact that God lifts up the lowly. That He has, there, he has condescended to her in the most positive sense of that word. And so, um, so she's troubled at this saying uh, because she, doesn't, she would never have thought of herself as uniquely favored or that the Lord is particularly with her. Um, the word troubled, she's troubled to saying it's the only use of that Greek word in all of the New Testament. But it really, it kind of means agitated, as best I could find. And she tried to discern. The King James says she tried to cast in her, she cast in her mind as to what this saying might mean. It means to uh, ponder or dispute. The word in Greek is... Uh, dialogue, basically. Dialogizomai is the word we get dialogue from. She, she went back and forth in her own mind as to what sort of greeting this might be. I just think that shows a remarkable natural comfort with what is happening to her that she doesn't freak out that there's an angel in front of her. She's going, wait a second. Now you, let, me, let me figure out what you're trying to say. There... Um, and the angel assures her, do not be afraid. And then he tells her what's going to happen. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive and bear in your womb a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. You can kind of, under number five, you can kind of, uh, 5a, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and by be his kingdom of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's important because if you remember, God had made a covenant promise to David that that he that from his line uh, would sit there would be a king over Israel uh, who would sit on the throne forever. And they hadn't. I mean, that's probably a promise that would have fallen out of fashion, or maybe become a little bit of an embarrassment. Uh, to the Jewish people, one that they certainly would have been puzzled over because there hadn't been a king in David's line who had any authority whatsoever, had any faith whatsoever, sitting uh, there in hundreds of years. Then Mary says to the angel, uh, hold on, I'm still stuck on number one. right? Um, uh, I'm going to conceive, how will this be since I am a virgin? Uh, the literal... Uh, Translation there would be, how will this be since I have not known a man? Um, and so again, she is, she's, she's, is for good reason. She doesn't debate whether or not he'll be great and whether what he'll be called as son of the Most High or that he'll sit on David's throne. She's, she is concerned with number one. I'm going to conceive, and, and rightly so, and not just for the biology of it. Because Mary knows that she hasn't been married yet, and if she has a baby in her womb, that two families stand to lose their standing in society. And and it puzzles me, actually, that the angel makes no mention of this, 
and doesn't um, talk her through that anxiety. But then again, faith doesn't mean that all the risks are removed, does it? Luke doesn't even show her blinking. Mary trusts God. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. In other words, I belong to Him. He can do what He wants. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was going to trust God to work out the details. And I've said this before, I think. I don't remember what context. But you, you know, when Jesus in His ministry comes back to His hometown, and at first they marvel, but then they say, wait a second, isn't this Mary's son? And, Je- and I always think it, that they're saying, isn't this the one that was born before they got married? That was conceived before they got married? Isn't this the one that was born out of what? He could not be blessed. I mean, I really think that they probably carried this with them all their, all their lives. But she was going to trust God to work out the details. Um, she believed the Lord and it was counted to her as righteousness. She believed the Lord. That's, you know, and what I hope you hear in that is, is Abraham, who when God made a covenant with Abraham, that through his line, all nations of the earth will be blessed. We see that coming to fruition right here. That The Scripture says that Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is being... Uh, this is um, being saved, salvation through grace, uh, by grace through faith. Salvation by grace through faith. Here's what Martin Luther said. Mary is the embodiment of God's unmerited grace. She is blessed not because of her virginity or even her humility, but because she was chosen as the person and place where God's glory would enter most deeply into the human story. Say that again. She was chosen as the person and place where God's glory would, most, would enter most deeply into the human story. So Mary's posture is the correct posture for the Christian. I am the Lord's servant and His Word speaks authoritatively into my life. If He said it, then let it be so. And we would do well to pray that prayer uh, as we read the Scriptures. Let it be, be to me according to Your Word. Mary never positions herself as divine, which is more than I can say for myself. Right? Which is to say, our rebellion is such that we always want to be God unto ourselves. To position ourselves to say, uh, my way, not your way, Lord. Uh, that's the Christian life, is learning to, to put that away. But Mary says, let it be to me according to your word, in the midst of very, very daunting pro- proposition. Because now she's got to go tell her daddy, and her fiancé, and her fiancé's daddy. I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's not what you think. <laughs> it's God's baby. I mean, just think about that conversation. A Baptist scholar uh, named Timothy George says this, Mary hears the Word of God and responds in faith, and thus is justified by faith alone. Mary was a disciple of Christ before she was His mother, 
For had she not believed, she would not have conceived. Mary's faith, too, is not the achievement of merit, but the gift of divine grace. This means that when we praise and love Mary, it is God whom we praise for His gracious favor to His chosen handmaid. So in the coming weeks, we're going to take a look uh, at, at Mary, but I just want to use this to put it in context. But I want to just think for a moment before we take uh, questions and comments uh, about the baby. Uh, the word overshadow, he's, she, he, he's, she, the, Lord, uh, the angel answers Mary's question, how will this be since I'm a virgin, by saying the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This, the word overshadow is the same word that's used when we hear, remember, the transfiguration and the great bright cloud comes and overshadows them. It envelops them, uh, takes them in and cares for them. And what, is, what we say about Christ and what we see in the writings of Paul, uh, particularly and also in John, uh, is that, that Jesus is the agent of creation. That by Him all things were created, uh, by Him and for Him. Uh, he, was, he was the one who created ex nihilo, right? Out of nothing, He made all that is. And what happens in Mary's womb is that He creates Himself uh, where there was nothing. There's no Y chromosomes in there, right? God creates something, Himself, uh, out of nothing and puts Himself there. It is the Son of God because God put Him there. In other words, uh, He put Himself there because He is the agent of creation. He, we are told uh, and assured in Psalm 139, we are knit together in our mother's womb. He knit Himself together in His mother's womb. Right? According to the angel, uh, it is the virgin nature of the conception that allows us to call Him uh, the Son of God. And so, I, I hope that you, uh, as we move towards the most commercialized day of the year, and all of the expectation for how things ought to look, and, and what needs to be up over the mantle, and uh, who needs to be on the party list, and all this, that we remember the miraculous nature of God's inbreaking presence uh, into this world, and the one through whom He did so. Uh, Mary, who said, "Let it. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according uh, to your word." So we've got about five or six minutes uh, left. So let's not took, take a look at Elizabeth. Uh, instead, let's uh, just open it up for questions or comments. Yes, ma'am. I think you mentioned that Gabriel didn't explain anything. That's not his mission. He did exactly what God told him to do. Bring the message. Yes. I'm the messenger. I am not the explainer. So, so if you couldn't hear uh, back there, if you couldn't hear what ML said, that uh, Gabriel did exactly what he was supposed to do. He is the messenger, not the explainer. That doesn't mean I don't puzzle over it. But yes, um, I, I agree. I mean, he all, but he, he pastors her. I mean, he, yes. says, he says, do not fear. Yes. And so, and so, it makes sense to me that he would give her reason why but she should not be That's the limit of what he's allowed to do. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I I don't disagree with you, uh, but it doesn't make me wonder. It doesn't mean I don't wonder about it. What else? Yes. But the question is to uh, Mary being worshipped. I think it's more of a, uh, an idea that 
people ask uh, her to intercede the deacons because of the bond that the son has with the mother. Mm -hmm. It's an this way, he has he has her either, and to get through to him, her to get through her. Well, so, so what what he said is that um, it is that it's it's not worship; it's it's asking Mary to intercede for us because it is um, she the bond. And yet, what a Protestant would say, uh, it, the answer to that is that we don't need an intercessor between us and Jesus. Jesus is the intercessor between us and the Father, and we can go straight to Jesus. We don't we don't need Mary to pray for us. And so that that would be the that would be where, right or wrong, that's, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. You're not, de in, a, in the Catholic mind, uh, devout, devoutly, we're not deifying Mary. Uh, we're saying that Mary is, um, ha has a unique position. What I think Scripture would say, and I'd love to, we could push back more about it, but I think Scripture would say that Mary actually um, may have a unique bond with Jesus as the mother, as the Theotokos, but she doesn't have a unique access to Jesus in the sense that we have we can pray directly to him now yes but that what well, to explain a little bit further mm -hmm. but that she holds a certain place and his respect for her is a way to like when you would go to your mother and mom please if you can do anything you know to, to, to put a little something extra out there for me so it's not like you're praying to her you're asking her for help you know, because you want all to help you, because you know how important, uh, how important, and how much you know Jesus loved his mother. Sure. So, and how much you would love your mother. You know, so it's like, and like what he said, it is an intercession. It's not like you worship her; you're respecting her position and how much she meant. You know, and how how giving she was mm -hmm. and open that she just said, "Do unto me." Yes, I am your hands and right. handmaid. And so what I what I would hope that all of us can where we can all land together is that we respect that that wonderful position that she has been given, uh, that she is highly revered. Not all of us are going to feel comfortable asking Mary to intercede, um, and that and I think that's okay. Um, I, I I would say that that she theologically uh, probably does not. I mean I would. I, I, it made me uncomfortable. I have to do a lot more thinking about that, and I may not get there uh, to say that she has uh, sort of unique favor in the terms of access or intercession. But certainly, she is the one that God chose. I mean, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, tro chose to put Himself there as the agent of creation. He didn't choose us. So, so there is it. There, but it, again, it's you know, why did He choose Abraham? Right. Because He did. Why did He choose you and me as? members of his church because he did not because we deserved it so um so there's there is certainly grace involved uh highly uh there but nevertheless she is uniquely favored so yes first susie then then richard and i think we gotta go tell you that in my travels i was asked many times in South America, Central America, are you Christ, are you Catholic or are you Christian? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, mm -hmm. because they think that you're actually praying to them on the same level. Mm -hmm. yeah. Who asked you that? A Catholic or a Christian? Um, just regular people. Yeah. When you come to travel, they want to know what your religious affiliation. Is. I had someone who was raised in the Catholic Church 
tell me why can't, why can't I just be Catholic? Why do I have to be a Christian? And Dad just thought well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But um, but because Catholics obviously certainly are are Christian in that sense. But it would, what they mean is sort of evangelical or Protestant or you know something like that. So, uh, Richard, last one. Uh, within the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. the first major step towards the deification of Mary was in 1852 when the Pope issued the Edict of the Immaculate Conception, yeah. where yes. Mary was born without sin. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step. We don't know if there's going to be a second or not, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a portion of the church. I, was that 1852 or 1952? 18? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to be a um, be your your go-to source for Roman Catholic theology. But um, but you know, I know that folks. Uh, I do remember hearing that people went and asked him not to do that because it was going to create a divide within Christendom over exactly what we're talking about uh, now. So uh, and it nevertheless, if he hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have. The Immaculate Reception with uh, for the Steelers, so that would be uh, that's that's another <laughs> another thing altogether. But um, all right, we've got to go. Uh, lots more to be said, but we've spent two more weeks on this. God bless you. <laughs>